unhappiest in the saddle. <laughs> a fellow sportsman. I am an FBI agent. Great Scott. What do you say we cut the chit-chat a-hole? Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Come with me if you want to live. Hello and welcome to Retro Ramble. I'm Charlie McGee. I'm George McGee. And this time we're going to be taking a look back at the 90s classic that is True Romance, brought to us by... Mr. Tony Scott. Written by... Mr. Quentin Tarantino. Uh, starring Christian Slater, Dennis Hopper, Patricia Arquette. And many, many, many others. others. Too many to mention, one could say. Lots of people. Lots of and lots of people. The, Probably the creme de la creme of the 90s. And Michael Rappaport. And <laughs> Michael Rappaport. So we're going to be going back to the 90s. We're going to be listening to some grunge. Uh, we're, we're not ready for the onslaught of Tarantino films that would follow this. Whilst it's not officially a Tarantino film, it's a Tarantino script, but it's our first dallying uh, into Tarantino territory. So yeah, he's got his new film coming out later this year, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Correct. But yes, it's the first time we've tackled one of the 90s most influential directors. And somebody we've watched a lot and a lot. And someone I've seen in real life and he has a very big head. Yeah. Literally, yes. But so, that's another story. Okay, that's the big head story. So we're going to be obviously doing the usual production chat, but a trivia from George. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll then talk about what we remember of this film, what this film means to us, what we like about it, uh, what we're going to poke fun at. And as per usual, just a quick disclaimer, we're going to go to some interesting places with this film. We do respect it. There will be some bad impressions. We don't have issues with Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, we're not going to go down that road because there is there is an increasing number of people who listen to this podcast who actually take Sylvester Stallone a lot more seriously than we did. Then Sylvester Stallone takes him yeah. seriously. Enough about Stallone. Um, then there'll be the usual features, uh, coulda, woulda, shoulda, uh, suspicious spin-offs, and uh, yeah, just, just the usual stuff that you have all known to come and love. And for anybody who's a first-time listener, thanks. Yes, so uh, just to give you a bit of housekeeping, we are, are not film professionals in any shape or form. We are film lovers. We're, We're not getting paid to do this. We are, what? Um, anymore <laughs> <laughs> there will be spoilers from the the very off there will be lots of bad language especially this being a tarantino film that as charlie said there's more than likely to be bad impressions you will probably have to drink lots um because this is starring christopher walken and yeah that's about it we we aim to entertain and uh, we aim to give you a bit of trivia yeah, so we hope you enjoy this episode. Uh, you can follow us on the blog and all the social medias. But here we have it. We have True Romance. So I don't know what we do to get in the mood. I'm trying to think what sort of music we were listening to back then. I'm just going to uh, uncover just my, lots, lots. my steel drums. Yes, yeah, so George is going to put George and Hans Zimmer on steel drums at the most inappropriate times just to keep things upbeat. I bought him off the guy who did the big commando soundtrack. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, What, what was it about steel drums? I think just we're going to go and do it. Guns pointing at each other, Mexican standoff, loads of coke. Lots, lots of coke, lots of shouting. Lots of feathers, and we're both wearing a wire, <laughs> which is not a lie. So, here it is, coming in your ears, True Romance.
from the director of Top Gun and Beverly Hills Cop 2. Yeah. <laughs> a con man. Ask him if he got the letter. Did you get the letter? What letter? A call girl. You call for a day? Huh? Ah! I'm out of What are you doing in LA anyway, huh? And a suitcase full of trouble. My name is Vincent Cocotti. I work as consul for Mr. Blue Lou Boyle, the man your son stole from. Now, all that stands between them and their wildest dreams. Find out who this wing and a prayer artist is and take them off at the neck. Are 60 cops. 40 agents. He's a wild man, this kid Clarence. I like him. 30 mobsters. I haven't killed anybody since 1984. And a few thousand bullets. We're all gonna die here. These are cops! Christian Slater, Patricia Arquette, Dennis Hopper, Val Kilmer, Gary Oldman, Brad Pitt, Christopher Walken. Slow it down, man. In a Tony Scott film. True Romance. So, George, True Romance, 1993. Tony so, Scott, what's he ever done? What has Tony <laughs> Scott done I mean, for us? apart from Top Gun, right, and apart from... So, the, 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 Tony Scott Last was... Last Boy Scout. ...was very much Mr. Mr. Bruckelheimer's go-to director, so... Uh, he did Beverly Hills Cop 2, Top Gun... Crimson Tide. Days of Thunder, Crimson Tide. So, yeah, he has... He's a very stylistic director probably more blockbustery than his brother ridley scott sir ridley scott mm -hmm. but yes is this our first tony scott joint i think so yeah i think it's safe to say you know he's a blockbuster director enemy of the state as well so yeah he's done a lot of Bruckheimer films for Christ's sakes, the man gave us Top Gun. The, the man gave us Top Gun. Did he do Gun. both Beverly Hills Cop, or was it just the no, second one? No, no, he did the second one. Yeah. Did Man on Fire. Which uh, is one of our faves. Which is, yeah. yeah. Is, is, Definitely one of our favourite Denzel roles. And yeah, tragically, we, we lost him a few years ago. Yeah, he committed um, suicide. Mm. So yes, this is a, a Tony Scott joint, Tony Scott film. But this was a breakthrough for Quentin Tarantino. So... Um, whilst this was released after uh, Reservoir Dogs, uh, Reservoir Dogs came out in 92, it was the first screenplay he sold um, for a very minimal amount. Uh, and Tarantino contends that it's his most autobiographical film to date. The film started out as a 50-page script by his writing partner, a guy called Roger Avery, who he worked with on uh, Pulp Fiction as well. And the, the film was called The Open Road, and it was about uh, an odd couple relationship between an uptight businessman and an out-of-control hitchhiker who travelled to a town together. For some reason. For some reason. He was struggling with it, so he asked his fellow video archives clerk, Quentin Tarantino, to, to give it a run over. Tarantino came back several weeks later with a 500-page uh, handwritten script, which Avery described as the Bible of pop culture. So this script that Tarantino wrote was actually a combination of both True Romance and Natural Born Killers, which is interesting because they are both scripts that Tarantino 
sold off to other directors. So Natural Born Killers was done by Oliver Stone. Yeah. Uh, the the following year, ninety four. One of the first eighteens I snuck into the cinema to see, and I still haven't seen it because I, I, it's not sort of one film that people rave about. Really, no, it's. I it's, think it was very controversial. At it the was time. controversial. To be honest, there there are some great performances by is it Juliette Lewis and, and Woody, Woody 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 Harrelson. But for me, there's large sections of the film kind of feel like a music video. There's a lot of surreal image, you know, it's, it's very visual. Mm. Um, and I think it's actually been the type of people who would laud this film are probably film directors, you know, because yeah. it's it's very it almost seems like um, what a movie director would do if the shackles are off. You know, mm. and the studio doesn't step in and go, wait a minute, people have got to watch this. But it's interesting, like, even with, you know, it's it's by Oliver Stone, an acclaimed film director, and I think when people talk about Oliver Stone films, it's very low down, low down on his sort of, you know, best of. It's dark, it's yeah. cynical, it's violent, but... Mm. But, but anyway, so um, essentially this, this script that Tarantino written was an amalgamation of the two, and True Romance was... It was almost like a play within a play. It was a story that one of the characters had written. Uh, and so what they what they decided to do, they realised it was going to be, essentially it was going to be like a mini-series. So like one of the characters in Natural, what became Natural Born Killers was writing a script and the script was, the script, the film that the script so, was about was True Romance. Yeah, so uh, essentially... Somebody made that movie. Mickey and Mallory, the, the, the killers from Natural Born Killers, decide... Uh, to find and kill a screenwriter who wrote a glitzy Hollywood movie about their exploits. The writer goes on, their ru- goes on the run and True Romance was the movie he writes whilst trying to evade them. Um, so it's told in typical Tarantino fashion with chapters out of order and all yeah. over the place. Um, so yeah, they split the, the two stories into separate movies. And around the time Tony Scott was making Guilty Pleasure Last Boy Scout... Tarantino had actually befriended Tony Scott's assistant and managed to, was introduced to Tony Scott and he handed him both. So the last Boy Scout was 91, I think. Yeah. So he handed him both uh, Reservoir Dogs and True Romance as scripts. Tony Scott read them both, loved them both and said, I want to make them both. And Quentin Tarantino said, you only get to pick one. So, Interesting. What do you think his motivation was behind that? I think he was... Because for me, looking back, it almost seems like he, he, it was always his plan to be... He wanted to make movies. like, I'll do a script, it'll turn into a movie, and when it's successful, I will direct the next one. Do you know what I mean? It was almost like... Well, I, I, that's what it looks like I, looking back. I think he was hedging his bets, essentially. I think he'd, he'd written these scripts and he was like, I'm going to have to... I want to make one of these. I have to make one of these to make my, my calling you know, to, uh, to make my, my imprint on Hollywood. But he obviously wanted to sell one to get his, you know, foot in the door and get his name round. So I think it was like, I'm not just going to be a screenwriter. I want to be a filmmaker sort of yeah. type thing. So he was, he was going to make one of them. And, well, I think it was probably fortunate because I think out of the two, Reservoir Dogs is a lot more lower scale, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's guys in a room. There's, whereas... The scope of True Romance is, is quite extended, and obviously the cast as well. Can you imagine a Tarantino version of True Romance as well? I don't think it would have been well, well, as well received as the Tony Scott version. Yeah, well, that's it. I think at the time he was he was the Wonder Kid, and it was such his name was getting around Hollywood. 
and everyone wanted to be on it and that's why it's attracted such a good cast because he was he was that buzz around Hollywood of this Quentin Tarantino, he's such a writer. Let's talk about the cast. So we have Christian Slater, Patricia Arquette, Dennis Hopper, Tom Sizemore, Chris Penn. Chris Penn. Michael Rappaport. Val Kilmer. Yeah. Gary Oldman. Wow. Samuel L. Jackson. Samuel L. Jackson, who is, is, is on the DVD cover. <laughs> right. His name is on the DVD cover yeah. and he has depending on when you bought the DVD. Yeah. 30 second screen time. Oh, it's a, it's a couple of minutes, but yeah, it's minuscule. Uh, and, and there's someone we're forgetting. I don't know, it'll come to us at okay. some point. The Antichrist. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Vincent Cucari. Cucari. So, yeah, so essentially that that's how it started. So, Tony Scott uh picks True Romance, because he's he's a reliable, you know, he's a big name in Hollywood. It's this hot and up and coming uh, scriptwriter, you know, wonder kid of Hollywood. Everyone wants to be in it, so he's attracting, you know, big cast. And obviously, as standard fashion, we'll go into detail about some of the the coulda woulda shouldas in that cast. Um, but yeah, shall we uh, crack on with our sort of overview of the film. Well, before we do that, let's set the scene because we've got little unknown music soundtrack guy. It's only Hans Zimmer. Ruddy Hans Zimmer. And of course, what music do you associate with Hans Zimmer or what should you really after watching this film? It's the steel drums. Somebody, somebody somewhere. Steel drums or xylophone or something. It's definitely this, yeah, but somebody's been watching Commando. Somebody's been watching far too much Commando. I think Hans Zimmer's watched Commando and said, you know what? I'm going to use... Sorry, we forgot Brad Pitt is also... And James Gandolfini. Anyway, we'll get to that later. Um, so, yeah, Hans Zimmer keeping things upbeat. But, but it's lovely, summery music it's washing upbeat. over us as we're looking at horrible, horrible Detroit. It's No, but it's just so... It's, it's so contrasting. It's so, just like... Think of the homeless, Derek. Yeah. Derelict. Derelict. People cowering around a, a burning oil drum. Yeah, it's not painting the prettiest picture of Detroit, but it is, you've got this upbeat steel drum. You make, you make, you're thinking of like, you know, somewhere in the Caribbean when in a really dark place. So that that's interesting. But it ties into that, I think, the whole aesthetic that Tony Scott's going for and what Tarantino commented on the adaptation, it's a very fairy tale approach. Whereas I think Tarantino's version would, would have been, been more real and grittier. gritty. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, in terms of a synopsis, interesting pr protagonist. We're going from kind of comic book store loser to surefire gangster to father. And all I can think is poor Alabama. All she wanted was a change of clothes. <laughs> and um, in terms of Christian Slater's defense, sorry, Clarence's defense, Elvis made me do it. <laughs> Elvis told me to kill those people. And for anyone who's into the same sort of films we are, and I hope you are because you're listening to this podcast, but when you say Val Kilmer and playing Elvis... Elvis all you can think of is top secret. I'm How sorry. How silly can you get? How silly can you get? So, yeah, I mean, that's that's it, where we are. I've is, watched this film so much. I have not, in in my defense. I think it's, yeah, it's, it's funny you made that comment about the DVD before. I think it's one of the first, it must have been one of the first DVDs I bought because it's one of those vanilla DVDs which has this really, ex like, expensive-looking cardboard sleeve and it has absolutely no special features on it. I bought the video. So that tells you oh, okay. what this film was. I think this, this I can clearly remember 
And it's weird how you remember the films that you have on video, mm. but uh, and you f you forget how in our scope of things, how recently we were watching videos. Like I had The Matrix on video and there were- That's probably one of the last videos. Yes, imagine. probably one of the last videos. But uh, yeah, I mean, this was a big film for me. So I was about 13 at the time of watching it, obviously slightly un underage, but me and my friends, we were all into it and just with the cast. And then we were on this- The swearing, the racism, the violence, the, vi the oh. sexual tension. Oh, the violence. Yeah, I mean, this film I always remember as a Tarantino film, which seems unfair to Tony Scott, but there was all this, obviously what's happened since True Romance and Tarantino's yeah. rise to fame, and also Tony Scott was hot shit when he did this, mm. but then teetered out a little bit in the years to come. You know, it was yeah, like- it's, 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 a, it's a weird sort of amalgamation of, of the two because Tony Scott, like, like his, his brother Ridley is a brilliant visualist. Like visually the films, I mean, they're both from an advertising background from um, like Tony Scott, I think did music videos as well. It's very slick. It's very- All the action scenes are perfect. Yeah, the editing. The, the gun noises. The, the, the visuals, yeah, the sound effects. And Ridley's the same, that the, the strength of their films is is it depends on the script, they will vary. And that's the thing with, with both of their films, they'll be varying quality, but they always look fantastic. Yeah, because there's a lot of similarities if you look at some of Ridley's recent stuff. <clears throat> I'm not talking about any, I don't want to talk about any alien prequels. No, but if, if we look at the difference between like Gladiator and Robin Hood, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Exactly. Same actor, same director, pretty similar story. And probably a lot but, of the same production cast. And, yeah, and he will have used yeah. his own team, but films that performed very, very differently. But yeah, I mean, my question is how much credit should the script get? Because... Tarantino would then go on to become a director and his script, his dialogue is a signature mm -hmm. of Tarantino. And it is, you, I, I just feel looking back with the benefit of hindsight now, back then we weren't talking about who wrote the script. You know, we were enjoying the film. We yeah. were focusing on the cast. We were wowed by what it was. We weren't looking, I mean, maybe you were, because you were always into this sort of no, thing. No, but when you think about it, it was... I don't know, maybe it was because of age and and location, but I don't think really sort of the Tarantino thing really hit us it, until Pulp Fiction. Because Reservoir Dogs, like, it was it was all about, it was banned it and was you weren't banned. allowed to see it. And yeah. it, was it was all about the co controversy. And I, I'm pretty sure you were the same. I, I re remember seeing Pulp Fiction first. Yes. And then seeing, but was yeah, that but because of the ban? I on... think it was because of the ban and because of everyone loved, because it, you know, Pulp Fiction just took everyone by storm. It took Cannes, it was, you know, critical hit. And but Reservoir Dogs was the video that people yeah. eventually got around to seeing. Yes. Pulp Fiction was the cinema event which yeah. made everyone go back and watch Reservoir yeah, Dogs. Yeah, and it was the must-see film. I, I remember sort of, watching that on video and that's only you know a couple of years later i remember being desperate to see that because everyone was talking about it well reservoir dogs yeah no no uh, pulp fiction i think it, it it must have been yeah sort of it was a bit later on so i think that was a thing that it's not so funny that it was an event for us to watch it on video yeah <laughs> well that's it you know it's what i'm it trying to remember if i would have seen that at the cinema but enough about Pulp Fiction, because that's what, 93? Five. 95, okay, yeah. So, and we'll obviously, we'll obviously get to that. So, um, so yeah, there's a, there's a lot of telltale uh, signs of 
that show the sort of uh, the the age of this film. Smoking in the cinema. Smoking everywhere. I don't. I don't. I don't even remember anyone smoking in the cinema. No, I think that was very. Uh, you... Or maybe it's an American thing. Is it? I think it's an American thing because, and I think it's still the case now. Different states have different laws. Yeah. Like. But I also am ashamed to admit, for for all my sort of my film knowledge, my martial arts love, I've never seen a Sonny Chiba movie. A little before our time. Yeah, I would, I would say that's the reason why. And it's very cult. Yeah, it's it's very cult. I think I did own the Street Fighter on DVD, and then it never left. Yeah, but we watched in a we watched some Bruce Lee. No, watched, you know, we like, had yeah. Van Damme. We didn't need any of the classic stuff. Exactly. We had a walking modern day classic. Dancing, right. walking, dancing, sexual split classic. master. But yeah, it is. Clarence is total geek wish fulfillment. Yeah, as you say, he works in a comic book store. He loves martial art movies, but also the the that gorgeous tart with a heart also instantly falls in love with him over his love of comic books yeah it's likely it's it's very likely which leads us to the love scene it's another tony scott silhouette sex this is so reminiscent of top gun you've got like it's been look it worked that time so what do we need well we need like soft focus blue lighting blue lighting close-ups we can't show any tits or ass so just lots of lips oh, no, no, lots there's of there's mouths touching oh no so as long as oh, it's there's bit, some it, side boob it's, 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 some it's, side it's boob. a bit like a, a bond opening as long as the nipples are silhouetted it's fine yeah so um, there's, it's there's, what i call tony scott erotica scarotica like it like it but yeah they are such after that you know they instantly fall in love and throughout this film they are such a goofy couple and it's so funny i mean the backdrop or the front drop whatever you want to call it but the backdrop of all this violence violence that, that's going on and i just think that some somebody needs to do a supercut of a true romance sequel but in like a, a disney voiceover somehow love finds a way you know it's very much like the way that they well, are together in, in a way alabama's opening and closing voiceover is very sort of dream-esque it's very sentimental very sentimental very affectionate and it is kind of jarring against and i suppose that's the whole point of it against that backdrop of violence but the cutesy the cutesy couple and as i say again all she wanted was a change of clothes which brings us to the first tete-a-tete mono-e-mono of clarence versus well george is it white boy day is it is I'm not sure is it White Boy Day. He's a motherfucking Charlie Bronson. What a performance. I mean, Gary Oldman, how many Oscars? At least one under his belt. And what again, an this, this is really... Young, well, young, young, young. Yeah, I mean, I think he was doing... Well, Dracula must have been around a similar time. Lots of makeup. But apparently he, uh, Gary Oldman said, um, I hadn't read the script. I knew nothing about it. Uh, Tony Scott and I went for tea. And he said, look, I can't really explain the plot but Drexel's a pimp who's white but he thinks he's black that's all I need to hear I said I'll do it <laughs> it is such an amazing performance literally the dreadlocks 10 minutes of screen time the dreadlocks, it's so quick because we scar. talked about this before how much happens in that like, first 15 20 minutes because I think ridiculous. I checked I checked the running time and I am pretty sure that it's about 13 minutes in that he's talking to Drexel so yeah. they've met they've done the movie thing they've, they've done, done pie they've, they've had pie they've done, do you like to have pie talk about a film so they've done all of this they've fallen in love 
and he's he's having the face-off with with Drexel, which is an amazing scene. It's, I mean, it's it's ramped up by the backdrop of some '90s techno, pounding, to, pounding techno. Pound, you know, I'm half expecting someone to come in and scream Mortal Kombat. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tarantino flexing his muscle because it's some great dialogue. Yeah. Well, that's it. It's it's really intimidating. It's you don't know which way. He he does that brilliant tense dialogue, but you don't know where, where a scene's going to go. It's a bit like the whole Inglorious Bastards. You know, one of my favourite Tarantino scene. That scene in a bar, it could go any way, and it's just the way he's layering on that tension. You know, who's going to get the upper hand? And it feels very real. You know, yeah. it feels very real. It's like you've walked in here. You know, and you're all tense, and I can read you. Yeah. This is not going to go well for you. And yeah. so, as you say, it's it's building the tension brilliantly. But yeah, it's fine because he's okay with with killing a man because Elvis told him to do it. So Val Kilmer uh, apparently wanted to play the role of Clarence, and Tony Scott had a different vision. So <laughs> Kilmer said, "Then let me play Elvis." Yeah. And apparently, he spent six months. Uh, singing Elvis songs on Tony Scott's answering machine. Um, <laughs> Once again, proving his comic timing. Yeah, but interestingly, he is, I think it's to avoid being sued by yeah, Elvis. Yeah, he was estate. forbidden from showing his face. Oh, he's forbidden from showing his face, but he's credited as the mentor. Yeah, he's credits. not allowed to be called Elvis. Yeah, um, which I thought was was interesting. And Elvis will pop up again in the Galdofini, um Patricia Arquette scene. Trivia from Charlie, a new feature coming <laughs> later. So that cuts to they've got they've got the drugs. Mm-hmm. They don't know what to do with it, so they go and Let's see. Let's go see Pop. They go and see Pop, which again, tired cop is is a very short appearance from the amazing Dennis Hopper. What makes you think that I could do that? Because you're a cop. But what makes you think that I would do that? Is this, I've, I've said, Dennis Hopper hot streak renaissance. You know, in the short burst of a few years, as I say, he did this, he did Speed, Waterworld, Boiling Point with Wesley Snipes, and... Then the, not much else. And the Super Mario Brothers film. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he was very much of the moment. Obviously, Dennis Hopper's been around for years. He's been around, you know, since the, the 60s and 70s. But this is the film, we, we connect with him on this film, but obviously we've got Easy Rider, he's been in... Apocalypse Now. I mean, he directed Easy Rider, yeah. didn't he? Yeah. So, Apocalypse Now, yeah. So, obviously very much established, but this was our first sort of introduction of Yeah, him. yeah, I, th- I think, i say, it was, I think my first, we it might be we, Speed, was the first time I became aware of him. Because we then, didn't, we obviously went back and watched yeah. Easy Rider and all of his other stuff at a later date, but... Um, um, but yeah, again, it's like he, it's the, you know, that's something, that thing that we always talk about, that economic exposition. He does so much with so little. He emotes so much in terms of like, he clearly cares about his son, but he's been estranged from his son for quite years. He's had a drinking problem. Yeah. And it's all done very quickly, but you buy into it. Yeah, you, you they very quickly establish the relationship between the two of them. And you very, he very quickly proves that he's his dad. He's like, slow down. Yeah. Like, you're doing what you've always done. And it's like, yeah, you're doing what you've always done. And do you remember, you owe me this dad. Yeah. And so you, it very quickly, you learn so much about the fact that they're divorced, that he had a drinking problem, that he never asked him for anything. Yeah. And he's asking and him he was, for... And he was a cop. Yeah. And he was a cop. And then we get to a certain 
mono e mono or a monologue off <laughs> we get to the sicilian scene <laughs> so we are introduced to uh vincent kakori who is a representative of Blue Lou Boyle. Yeah, Blue Lou Boyle, which I was hoping that would be his name, but uh, um, we never get to meet Blue Lou Boyle. Though we were destined to in the original script. Apparently there was an, a speaking part for Blue Lou Boyle, and I think on Tarantino's uh, wish list it would have been a certain Bobby De Niro play, right. playing that role. But many cuts were made to, to uh, Tarantino's original script, so instead of Blue Lou Boyle we just get Vincent Cacotti. Mr. Christopher Walken, the very, very brilliant Christopher Walken, being his associate, I am the Antichrist. <laughs> we love this guy. I mean, who doesn't love doing a really bad Christopher Walken impression? Because but nobody does Walken like Walken. Nobody does Walken like Walken, but it is such an amazing but scene. But it's so short. It's, it's so, so, it's so such a, it's just, it's him and Hopper and you could take that scene, you could show it to anyone they were like, I want to watch that movie. It's like, yeah, but they're not, neither of them are in it ever again in that yeah. film. But that's, it's, it's, I remember it was such a talked about scene because yes, it is very controversial. It's, it's very violent. It, it's, it's very racist. Yeah. But it's, it is two Hollywood greats at the top of their game. Eating the scenery. Eating the scenery, but like, not out acting each other, but just they've hit a rhythm and they're just giving it as good as each other. And again, it's that that brilliant way that Tarantino can spin on a dime that, oh shit, you know, Dennis Hopper is fucked. He is, you know... They're going to kill him. They're going to kill him. You How know, is he going to go you down? You know, Kikori says, you know, I everyone everyone's got to tell. I know how people lie. Mm. You know, there's there's 13 different tells. Yeah. I've, I've got you completely read like a book. But Clarence... And a bitch whore girlfriend of his brought this all on themselves. I implore you not to go down that road with them. You can always take comfort in the fact you never had a choice. Look, I'd like to help you if I could, but I haven't seen Clarence. And then Hopper completely floors him with the the, <laughs> the history lesson. The origins of the, the Sicilians. And apparently Tarantino said it's one of his proudest moments. He said uh, he heard the whole speech about the Sicilians from a black guy living in my house. One day I was talking with a friend who was Sicilian and I just started telling him that speech. And I thought, wow, this is a great scene. I've got to remember that. Yeah. So, yeah, Tarantino's probably offended some, some poor Sicilians out there. Um, but yeah, it's phenomenal in the way that Scott lays on. I think this is some opera music rising through. Yeah. It's brilliant, and the the tension building of I think I will take one of those Chesterfields now. Yeah, and then for and and you can see that there's torture going on, and he and he does what I think, in the words of a samurai, would say is a great death. It's an a, honorable, an, an honorable death where he he stands to meet his maker, and he's like, yeah, I know what I know. I know how this is going to play yeah. out. So this yeah. is how I want to go. And then there's the the real kicker, and he goes, now now tell me, am I lying? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and to be followed up with the, I haven't shot anyone since 1984. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, I think, part of the genius of that scene is the brevity, is the fact that both of them are, as you say, having a great time and do great delivery. Mm. And then it's, it's over before you know it. And it's on to the next scene. Yeah. And we don't get to see them again. It's, I know, um, s sadly not. The 
the the story quickly jumps to sunny California. Horrible Detroit is long gone. It's it's a Tony Scott movie now. Loving you know the sun rising, airplanes rising, that lovely smoggy haze, and we get Michael Rapaport playing an actor who never really makes it in Hollywood, <laughs> which time would tell would be an unfortunate foretelling of Rapaport's career because he's actually a likable character. I like him, but he is not. He's in some good films. He's in some good films. He's but in he, some terrible films. But he never really makes it in Hollywood, so that's no. why that's quite. Ironic, and, and for, we also get to meet Floyd. Well, yeah, and what I'd like to say is, back at this when this film came out, Brad Pitt was Mr. Heartthrob. You'd be annoyed, girls in your class would be talking about, oh, Brad Pitt, Legends of the Fall. This was the film where Brad Pitt became cool, mm. well, and it was a great and a great role for him to pick. Well, apparently uh, he begged for the role because um, he'd been in uh, Thelma and Louise, obviously a Ridley Scott movie, and that was his breakout role. He was the sort of as you say, hot, hot piece of ass and that. But he lobbied for it. He's like, oh, I want to play the roommate. And Tony Scott was like, are you serious? He's like, yeah. You're just a stoner who sits on the couch all day getting stoned. He's like, that's my life right now, No, no, but, no, I think he brought all of that. Like, he brought the whole thing of him being a stoner. I think he was just Richie's... Is it Richie? Uh, Michael Rappaport's character. I think he was just his flatmate. He wasn't a stoner. And he brought all of that to it and did a lot of improvising as well that... Don't you condescend me, man. Um, now, he's such a, such a cool character, but that leads us to, you know, how are we going to offload the coke? We're going to have to get into somebody in the movie business and that we get to meet Elliot. Some great character acting. And what, what a character in this well, film. Well, yes, yeah, so uh, it's uh, the guy is called, the, the, he's got a great name in real life, Bronson uh, Pinchot, yeah. who was also, I think he's the guy from, Aquil Foley. Yeah, yeah, he's, Aquil Foley. Yeah, yeah, he's the guy from Beverly Hills Cop. Um, yeah, he's been in loads of stuff, but he's brilliant. I great mean, character. Again, actor. great character actor. Great, you know, he he has, you know, a short amount of, of screen times, but he's so good in everything. He's, I love how he's like, he's so confident and bold. He's confident with Richie. Rich, Richie. But he looks up and, to Clarence. And and then he falls to pieces when he's on the phone to Lee. Yeah. The, what? You want me to suck yeah. his dick? <laughs> And there is nothing like seeing a grown man sobbing as yeah. it is after the roller coaster ride. Sweating and sobbing. Yeah. And then, yeah, we get the whole thing of him getting busted with the hooker in the car and the bag of coke. No, he's, he's brilliant and he's, he's a great addition to the film. Again, he hasn't got much to work with, but he does brilliant with limited screen time. Yeah, and these are quick scenes, things the plot is moving along quickly, almost it's been driven by the script. You know, it's like yeah. you really see, as you say, there's the cop pulling over, then suddenly you got, um, we get introduced, I think, if I'm timing this correctly. While, this is, while that's happened, the next thing we see is he goes to get the burgers yep. and we see the little uh, the guy from The Rock the Weasley guy from The Rock and Christian Slater giving which is the famous monologue of Quentin Tarantino apparently that that, that the whole story that he does at the start this is more Charlie trivia by the way but the whole monologue that he does at the beginning about if you had to fuck a guy yeah, he would fuck, fuck Elvis, Elvis. Yeah. there's apparently the sum of Tarantino on film delivering that it was like his dissertation or something oh so, okay so this obsession with Elvis is actually Tarantino it's weird because it hasn't really made it into many other films no I think he I think he got, got, out, of got, got out of his system in yeah. this film um, but then he's talking to that guy from The Rock saying yeah man you know who really scared me it's those 
damn Elvis fanatics. Just you know? damn Elvis fanatics. And the guy just looks at him as if to say, you mean you're not one of those nuts? But whilst what's going on in the background, we've got Alabama versus Gandolfini. Some, some little known guy called... James. So where where are we? So like this is this is obviously before Sopranos, but how far? Six years. I had to look this up because I was like, James Gandolfini is so good in this, and it's like, why didn't you get more work? Because I remember him popping up in uh, Get Shorty, which yeah. was 90... another menacing mob character, no doubt. But, but no, he's he's yeah, he's the he's the heavy, but he's the heavy with the heart of gold. He's yeah. like the stunt man that actually changes, you know, his. But once ways. again, playing on that. On that, his appearance. On, on his, yeah, his appearance. So, uh, yeah, this is six years before he made it the big time with uh, Sopranos. But you've got him saying, he looks at her and he's like, you are unbelievably beautiful. And she's obviously thinking, you are unbelievably terrifying. <laughs> and then he smacks her in the face, doesn't he? Well, yeah, but, you know, it was well, the 90s. That was acceptable back well, that's then, it. right? It's... <laughs> I think that's it. That one of the things I remember about this film, like the first it's time. It's an uncomfortable sort of, scene. It's a very uncomfortable scene, and I just don't think you could get away with it these days, especially in the Me Too era. It's it. it I mean, she triumphs in the end, and I think that's the only way that this becomes pal- palatable mm. is the fact that it's so such graphic violence towards. But bio- she, she takes such a beating. It's yeah. It's the fact that, yeah, she triumphs at the end, and I think that's the only way you could get away with it. If Clarence came in and saved her at the end, you would, like, say that was completely unnecessary violence. But the fact that she takes him out, and it's this prolonged fight, it's this fact that... And it's a way that it's not a clean kill. She stabs him multiple times with a corkscrew, and She hits him over the head with the... uh, Elvis bust. With the Elvis bust, which was the one I was talking about. Elvis will appear again, and then there is... The she hits him over. The, she gets him with like the shampoo. Then she hits him over the head with the toilet. My, my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> then she hits him over the head with the toilet slab. And then the flamethrower with the deodorant. Yeah, I mean it's it's so she gives as good as she gets. But you're quite mm. right. In today's much more socially aware, I'm not sure um, you would get it. But there is a great monologue from him on first kills, which made me think of Casino Royale. When he's what, talking about oh, um, what it's g- like g- to g- kill the first person and then you kill the second person. And you're like, he's establishing himself yeah. as, a, as a hired gun. And that for him, this is just work. Yeah, and, and she realises that's her only way out. She has to kill him. Yeah, and I think that's what... So, yeah. once again, script doing the work. Yeah. Script driving the plot along. Um, but then it gets more lighthearted because we get the arrival of Tom Sizemore and Chris Penn. So our guy, Elliot Blitzer, he's making a deal between them and his boss big-time fucking movie producer named Lee Donowitz. He did the movie Coming Home in a Body Bag. A Vietnam movie? Yeah. Good fucking movie. Fucking thing. Hey. Hey. Which one of us is bad cop? I don't know. Does it matter? We're both from New Jersey, but we're in LA. It doesn't make no sense. Yeah, so that's one hell of a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Two cops, one classic captain, God, and, and another... An but, angry captain. An angry captain who's not so sure. But that's another very smoky cop-filled room smoking. That was when it yeah. appeared to me. It's like, wow, everyone is smoking literally yeah. everywhere. But you you love those two. Once again, brevity, they're not in it long. You know, they've, it's like, they've got great chemistry together they you know you 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 get to feel like they've been partners for years you know they're looking to to make that big big case you think i like this hair man <laughs> oh sorry that's, that's the wrong, wrong Tom movie. Sizemore undercover in another film yeah elliot 
they they know they've got him by the balls and and you know they're like this guy would sell his mother you know i think is how they literally got him by the balls with that wire he's wearing yeah so we get to meet lee donowitz producer of coming home in a body bag (laughs) not to be confused with one of our favorite producers of all time yeah so we we've talked about him a lot over a previous retro ramble episode so the uh acclaimed uh acclaimed movie producer joel silver this is apparently a very very close to the bone parody of him and when the guy who plays Lee Donowitz auditioned for the role uh, Tony Scott said to him you've got him exactly right that's so Joel and he was like Joel who's Joel I was just doing this like hyped up movie producing and uh, yeah Scott said well it was too much on the nose well no no Scott said it was brilliant and he said the Hollywood satire is affectionate but Joel didn't talk to me for a while after that because obviously Joel uh, Silver produced Last Boy Scout and I think this it, is how you repay me? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I think they kind of rubbed each other the wrong way on Last Boy Scout. So I think it was payback. Tony Scott letting off some steam. But yeah, he, he's a brilliant character, Lee Donowitz. He's, he's camp, he's seductive, he's catty. He's brilliant. Yeah, he, again. He treats Elliot like shit. He treats Elliot like shit. He treats, he's got his armed security guards. He treats them like shit. Um, but he's, he's paranoid as hell. He's paranoid as hell. Um, and it's the closest you're ever going to get to see to Joel Silver being in a film. No, 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 no. I'm not saying I'm not interested, Clarence. It's just that being a distributor is not what I'm all about. I'm a movie producer, you know? I am on this earth to make good movies. Nothing more and nothing well, maybe less sometimes. Floyd, stop helping the mob. I mean, come on. He tells the mob. He tells both. He tells oh, yeah. Galdafini where to go. And he tells the mob where to go. And he always seems to be watching the Emilio Estevez movie Free Jack. Yes, I noticed that as well. Yeah. Um, but I just love it how it doesn't he offer the, like, the mob to sit down and smoke a bowl with him. Or is it Gandolfini? He's like... No, it's it's um, it's it's when they arrive on Greece. Yeah, do you want to stay a while? Yes, do you want to sit down? Condescending <laughs> pricks. Don't, don't condescend me, man. So, yeah. So, they um, the mob turn up at the hotel, which is the same hotel from Beverly Hills Cop 2. Two, which has the I think that's the shooting range one with because it's with yeah uh, with uh, Bridget Nielsen Bridget Nielsen who uh, I always call Bridget Fonda yeah um, um, Charlie I just I forgot to tell you something I hate cops <laughs> Lee <laughs> Just, just like, why did you hide the overly aggressive security guards with the machine gun that hate cops? Yeah, I, I got, I hate cops. I'm not going back inside. So the mob enters the hotel. Nothing to see here. No one flickers they, an eyelash. They, uh, they've tooled up to the, to the master. They've spent about a few days just loading their shotguns. But Lee has some sweet. He does have. He's got a, a garden, a fountain. Yeah. It looks like a good place for uh, for a shootout. So, Mexican standoff. Mexican standoff. What would then become, obviously, uh, you know, the the Tarantino signature in many films to come. So um, you've got cops, v- security in the middle with with Clarence, Alabama, and Richie. Yeah. And then on the other side, you've got hey, forget about it. You got them coming in. There's a shootout. Everyone's covered in coke and There's feathers, feathers everywhere. Cocaine snow. Everyone dies. Everyone dies. <laughs> well, in, apparently in uh, Tarantino's original script, Clarence was supposed to die and Alabama takes off with the money. And apparently Rappaport was always spared because he was sort of the dumb, innocent one. Yeah. But then Alabama would. Um, Alabama gets mentioned in uh, Reservoir Dogs. 
uh, as working with, I think, Harvey Keitel's character. So maybe that's the link of uh, where she goes yeah. after True Romance. Yeah, it's so in, a... in Tarantino's mind, that's... She probably turns up with a big bag of coke and that involves... Yeah, that, that, that's how it sort of spins out there. And he was actually initially opposed to the decision to make the happy ending but as I said he, he sort of Tony Scott says he, he fell in love with the two characters and just didn't want to see them die yeah okay um, so that's why he gets shot but just blinded and yeah we have the final scene of uh, always loved he Clarence always will always will so I think because I like to make Jeff and Celine wait a while are we going to go into our suspicious spin-offs feature So suspicious spin-offs are Charlie and I come up with ideas for in this era of sort of shared universes, remakes, remakes, prequels, prequels yeah. uh, spin-off series. It's our chance to sort of flex our creative muscles. So I'm going to let you go first this time. Okay. Just because so, I'm just worried that we've got the same I, idea. I think our first idea is both going to be the same. So actually Gary Oldman has is, is stated in an interview that out of all of his film characters he would love to return and do a film on Drexel and so would we and, so, and so would we so yeah my what my first idea is a a Drexel and Vincenzo Cocotti sequel I want to see more about the mob and the mafia you've obviously got the Walken film King of New York but I want to see the Antichrist of Detroit yeah, getting his. I want to see that film where he, his last kill in 1984. I want to go back to 84. Yeah, yeah, go back. Still, Charlie's stuck in 84. Ew. But yeah, I think so. Both of us have come up with the same um, suspicious spin off in that we want to see a film with Walken as the mob boss, with Drexel and Samuel. Yep. Samuel L. Jackson's character. Want to see more of Samuel. Yeah. Um, so that's but, one. But my, my second idea is a Quantum Leap style show where Elvis turns up in people's lives as an imaginary friend. Telling them to kill people. Yeah. I like yeah. it. El Elvis made me do it. Oh, oh it's easy to kill, man. <laughs> so yeah, he just turns up and convinces people to kill. Okay, my final one. It's a buddy cop film. Okay. Involving Tom Sizemore and Chris Penn. Love it. And I also like The Captain. And it's basically just them doing just like... Who can shout the loudest. Who can shout the loudest and lots of undercover stings. Hey, forget about and it. And Tom Sizemore doing undercover. Do you think I, I like, like this hair, hair man? Do you think my wife likes this hair man? Yeah, and uh, Chris Penn showing that somebody in the Penn family can be in a film without overacting so it becomes annoying. <laughs> so that's um, what I would like to see. But apparently there is a, in a way, there is a real spin-off. The film Pineapple Express with James Franco and Seth Rogen yep. came about from Judd Apatow who said, wouldn't it be funny to make, follow the character Floyd from, if you took that character from True Romance and made the story all about him? Yeah, because I know that I, I enjoyed watching Pineapple Express. It's a stoner movie. It's got the guy from Midnight Caller. What's he called? Uh, oh, Gary Cole. Gary Cole in it. And yeah, it's, and it's also got the other guy who does all the impressions, all the voices, Bill Hader. Yeah. Yeah, he's in it. So um, yeah, that's an enjoyable, very stoner film. But yeah, uh, so but like, I can't see the connection with Floyd right now. I think I need to go and get stoned and watch it again. Yeah. Well, just I think, looking, I, looking for an excuse to get stoned, I, basically. I think that was it. It was just to basically follow, uh, you know, what, what would happen if, uh, if Floyd got chased by the mafia. Yeah. So, which brings us to coulda, woulda, shoulda. Your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could that they didn't stop to think if they should. Coulda, woulda, shoulda, shoulda. 
coulda, woulda, shoulda is when George fills us in on the other actors of the time that were considered for the roles. And with an impressive cast that was established for True Romance, I'm very interested to hear who was considered but didn't get it. So yeah, as I say, you know, everyone was trying to, you know, it, was, it was a hot script, it was a, a big director. Apparently, according to Patricia Arquette, Tony Scott really wanted Drew Barrymore for the role of Amabama, and she even said he was obsessed with her. He had pictures of her wearing little outfits, but I think she was unavailable, <laughs> which sounds something <laughs> about him leaving voicemail messages of a nondescript nature. S singing Elvis down the phone to her. And as at the time of recording uh, for us, man of the moment, Liam Neeson, uh, turned down the role of Vincenzo Cacotti. So the Woken character. God, I'm glad that didn't happen. Yeah. But apparently Tarantino, being Tarantino, wanted the role of Cacotti to be played by Robert Forster. So he... Who's he? Robert Forster is the B-movie character actor who is the bail bonds guy in Jackie Brown, the guy that helps out Jackie Brown. The, the the one who has a thing for Jackie Brown. Yeah, the yeah, old yeah. guy. And I, I, I'm, I'm trying to think he's, he's in something else, but I, I can't remember what he's but, in. No, but I think he he's had an established career when he was younger. Was oh yeah, you know, yeah, Maverick and yeah. stuff like that. And oh, he's yeah, he's he's he had like he was in westerns and yeah, he's had like he's never been an A-lister, but yeah. he's done a character. Okay. He's done loads of TV. George and, and I showing our movie industry knowledge. Yeah. So yeah, they, they are, and obviously we've talked about... De Niro was considered for Blue Lou Boyle. Yeah. Uh, that character made it into the final... Val, Val Kilmer wanted, lobbied for the role of Clarence. Uh, I think Tarantino wanted uh, Joan Cusack as the role of Al Alabama. Sorry, that's wow. just me doing Christopher Walken again. Yeah. But um, just, I know, obviously, in terms of that's coulda, woulda, shoulda, done, dusted, but let's talk about Patricia Arquette for a moment, because... What have I you done for us lately? No, but I can't remember in anything else. I know that she has been in other things, but I mean, she has such a presence. She's, intel she's an intelligent, accomplished actress, but I can't remember seeing in much else. No, but I don't remember really liking her in anything else. Like, she is... No, but I mean, so what else is she... What is she... The, the she only thing George? I can think of, uh, she was in a sort of horror film called Stigmata, um, but she was in... Oh, that was terrible. Is that not Johnny Depp? Uh, no. no, he's. Uh, you might be getting confused with the Ninth Gate. Yeah, I'm getting confused with that. Yeah. But she was obviously in Boyhood, as the mum yes. who keeps picking this. So, yeah, yeah, but so, I think that's that that that's the bookend. You know, yeah. I I watch Boyhood thinking one the she, character is great and I love and that's such yeah. realistic of that we always make we always make the same decisions bad or good when it yeah. comes to picking people that we want to be with men and women and I think that's that's a great that's what's great about boy but I remember watching that going what has she done in between boyhood and true romance well that's, I think she just maybe just didn't have the best agent but I just remember like stuff she was in she was a bit of a damp squib but in this she's brilliant she's She's, well, very, she's so much of this film. She's very sexy. She, you know, really gives it her all. There's that that innocence, that purity, um, you know, that heart with a heart. And it is, a, it's probably a career best performance, I would say. Well, from, she's so comfortable in the role. Yeah. You wonder why does she, you know, she clearly shows that, I mean, not only is she doing the monologue at the beginning and the end, you know, bookending that film, mm. and she's so crucial. You know, it's, it, all, it is all about, she just wanted her clothes back that yeah. started this whole thing. She's the driver. She makes a decision. She falls in love. And that's what, uh, what everything perpetuates from. But she, she proves in this that she could have held her own. Yeah. In, in, a, in a film, she could have, 
Levine. It's, maybe maybe in the nineties we weren't ready to give you know actresses like that their own more more of a starring role. Well, it, interesting. Now it was only when doing my research, it was actually uh, the film was actually a box office flop. I mean, it's it's funny you talked about. I had the video. I helped. Yeah. I helped make it a cult classic. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah. Um, apparently it made. I think it was something like. 11 million at the American box office, which is really sort of a bit of a, yeah, 11.5 at the box office. And I think it was that was one the time of those $100 million films. So. One of those cult classics that really picked up on, on video. Uh, and obviously, as Tarantino's name got bigger, probably got yeah more traction there. But yeah, it's, it's interesting that, you know, it is, as you say, you know, it's of a certain generation people have like i don't think it means as much to me as it does to you but still watching it i had so much fun revisiting it and as you say i can't watch this film enough like i watched yeah. it loads when it was it was very much i can remember it's, it's always funny about movie collections going back to the days of physical media I don't know about you, but I always remember when I move, you know, moving flats as a student because you have to, the you, largest thing unboxing. to move is, yeah. is, is the bloody movie collection yeah. because George and I have, I think over the years between the two of us, I think it's no probably a thousand because I think at oh, one easily, stage yeah. we both easily had three, four hundred films each and yeah. then there was crossover. Um, so we've, and that's what I remember. I just, I remember, oh, got to take my true romance, got to, and yeah. it was... And oh, I haven't watched that in a while. Yeah, lots, of, but, and then obviously it's been a while since yeah. I watched it, and watching this, I was like, man, I love this film. Mm. And it's one of those films that it stands up to repeat viewings, and, yeah, I mean, it is you very know, I, I, I think I might have watched The Walken scene by itself a few times just on YouTube. You I know. mean, it is very much a product of its time. It's very 90s. It's very Tony Scott-esque. But it has so but much But we love for it. that. Yeah. We love the 90s, clearly. Yeah. Um, and This podcast demonstrates that. And it is an amalgamation of everything. It's, it's you know, it's, you know, you've got the, the Tony Scott visuals. You've got, you know, the Tarantino dialogue. And you've got some amazing actors. It's got so much in it. Yeah, and it's so many things that would later go on to become the signature that is what we love, know and love about Tarantino. So that was True Romance. We hope you've enjoyed it. Um, thank you for listening. Anything else you want to add? Uh, no, just the usual obligatory. Uh, if you enjoy listening to these podcasts, tell please, your friends. Tell your friends. Uh, like tell it, your enemies. Like us on iTunes. Give us a review on iTunes. Like tell people at work. Tell people... T tell Just... Just tell a stranger on the tube, on the bus. Play it at loud volume so just, your neighbours can hear. Just shout it out the window at someone. Hey, you, listen to Retro Ramble and then drive off. Yeah. So, but maybe don't do that. Yeah, if you do enjoy, enjoy this, uh, share it with like-minded people. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the feedback we, we do get, you know, does mean a lot to us. Yeah, so thank you very much for all the comments and an increasing number of people sharing us uh, on on the Instagrams, on the Twitter mm -hmm. and on the Facebooks because that's that's getting the message out. So, no, just, just a very big thank you. Next time, we will be back with Ridley Scott's favourite sequel that he pretends doesn't <laughs> exist. Yes, Aliens, a very big film for us. This We're time it's war. We're going to Nam space. Yeah, so one of our favorite uh, incarnations of the Alien saga, the one that Ridley Scott doesn't like, doesn't want to talk about, and forgot about when he made Alien Covenant. Yes. So we're going to have a lot of fun. That's not so much a special, but I think it is a film we're going to talk a lot about. And we know because of the people that enjoy this podcast that it's a bigger film for our, you know, our listeners as it is for us. So we're going to give it the due that it deserves. Yeah. 
So tune in next time for that. Thank you very much. I've been Charlie McGee. I've been George McGee. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye.